Hello, this is Jenny Nichols, and this is Local Share Green Action Podcast, where we hear from people across the U.S. that share their stories about work they are doing in their local community with a common goal of taking green action that helps care for people and wildlife and the environment in our local towns and cities. Our goal is that we might be able to learn from and inspire each other while we find our own solution-based action that lets us live meaningful, sustainable, eco-friendly lives while cleaning, protecting, and repairing the environment. Today in our podcast, I'm speaking with someone who's one of the founders of a toy lending library, which helps people to cut down on waste, improve their family budget, and allow their children access to a wider range of toys. I'm speaking with Rebecca Nutter. Rebecca Nutter is the current executive director of the Minneapolis Toy Library. She is a former early childhood educator and a stay-at-home mom with three girls, ages 8, 5, and 2. She chose to be a part of a lending library because the idea of sharing these material resources made sense, especially toys for young children who often benefit from varied developmentally stimulating and age-appropriate toys. She also saw this as a way for families to cut down on their waste and consumption and at the same time improve the lives of families in the community. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to speak with you and find out more about your path of green action that led you to being a part of a toy lending library. So what planted the seeds for you to want to take some kind of green action? Uh, So I joined, it was two other moms in the area that had the original idea and they just had newborn babies and they were trying to provide their infants with toys while also being uh, environmentally conscious. They're very eco-friendly, minimalist families. And so there, I kind of joined them. It was was kind of their idea and, and they wanted to just find some other way to provide those toys for their children and not have to continually buy. Buying new toys was basically kind of their only option they saw. So they started researching about toy libraries, um, put together a social media account. And that's kind of when I, I I found them, I stumbled across it. And it really just, it spoke to me. I was, I'm a very minimalist, minimalistic person. I don't actually have a lot of toys for my children. It sounds terrible, but I just, I can't justify buying new toys all the time. So it really spoke to me like, this is just something that makes sense. We just share the toys, especially for children under the ages of five. They go through their, their interests change so much. Developmentally, they change so fast. Uh, So it just, it just made sense to me. That's excellent. So what was the process like when you um, first all went about um, setting up the library? Sure. We met and talked about kind of what strengths we brought to the table. And they had more of the, not the business mindset, because we decided to go and become a nonprofit. But they had, uh, you know, their one of their husbands was a lawyer. So we had the liability stuff that taken care of. One of them, one of the moms was from Australia. And she was part of a toy library down there. So that was what brought her into the group. And then my background in early childhood and special ed, I just, I like that age. That's what I'm comfortable with. Also the the child development center I worked at, I was in charge of the closets of our toys. So I knew how to kind of categorize. I'm a very uh, type A personality. I like organization. So it all kind of worked together and uh, that's kind of where we started. And it was, it, it was very rough when we started, you know, we just, we just decided to do it and 
eventually things changed as we went and got more it got better over time so did you use an existing like library in town with books um, and just add toys to that so we tried to contact our local book libraries and they were really strapped for space everyone just they just didn't have space to to try something like that so what we decided to do is we uh, rented for free meeting spaces at our local book libraries to start the events. So we didn't end up forming a relationship with book libraries. We just found a space to start. We uh, used those meeting rooms for a good year. I would fill up my car with uh, maybe five bins of toys that were all labeled and categorized, and I'd bring them to the libraries. We'd unload them. Uh, that's kind of how we started. It was paper and pencil, you know, writing down our members' information and the toys. You know, it was all just you know those little sheets that you used to have in your book to check out books, paper and pencil. That's kind of how we started. So, uh, yeah. So, how did you get the word out initially? Social media, Facebook. We started a Facebook account and. It really was just word of mouth after that. Uh, we've got a strong ECFE, so it's Early Childhood Family Education resource for families in the Twin Cities in Minnesota. And people were part of those groups. So it's basically, they offer classes for children under the ages of five for the children to come and play. And then the parents might uh, meet and learn something about development on the side. So it was just a resource that uh, families could have. And we've had a couple families from there. And then they talked to other families like, hey, there's this toy library, you heard of it. Our members were and continue to be very supportive. So they would bring brochures to those meetings and hand them out. Really word of mouth was it. I remember we actually tried to do a paid advertisement in a magazine and we were really worried about it, whether or not the money would be worth it. And we didn't get any recognition or feedback from that. So it's really just been word of mouth. Nice. Did you charge money for a membership or... Yeah, so we looked at what other toy libraries were doing around the country and internationally and how much they were charging for memberships. Some do monthly, we decided to do yearly. And we decided to start out with a yearly membership of just $20. We just didn't know if it would take off. We didn't know if people would be interested in it. We didn't want to overcharge. So we just started with $20 a year and that we had our first, we call them lending events. We had our first lending event, uh, May, 2015. And we had one person sign up and she stayed with us. She stayed with us for five years until her daughter was in kindergarten. So she signed up. We had a couple of people come in that were interested. But so we started for a couple of years at the $20. And right now uh, we are decided to change it. So we're on a sliding scale for a yearly membership. It starts at $40. So do you have an actual location now or you're still kind of mobile? Yeah. So now we have for about the past... I think it's coming up on three years now. We found a local church that had space that they were willing to rent to us. We found that churches were uh, the best bet for us. They have good parking and generally maybe have some space to lend. So we're very happy with that relationship. And yeah. So do you open like a couple days a week or how does it work? We, before COVID set in, we were open six days a month and we we're open for a couple hours each time. Right now, we're just doing a curbside toy pickup offering two times a month. Nice. 
So do you have like a website where people can kind of, you know, trade out choices? Oh, yeah. So we don't have anything online right now. So, you know, with this developing the toy library, everything can get better. You know, we're rough around the edges in some parts. And I think that our members, they get it, you know, and they, they, don't want this to be a over expensive concept and, and membership. So they're paying for basics and that's kind of how we operate right now. And it worked fine not having to check out online before the pandemic arrived because people would just come in and they would find the toys. And it was a, it's a nice experience for their children to be there too, because the children can pick out toys. It, it's just kind of fun for them. So we don't have that capability uh, yet. We would, we would like to, I think, you know, with the system we're operating under right now, it would probably be best to have that. So how are, how do people know like what toys that they want to check out next? Yeah. So right now uh, they get what we call like a mystery box to check out. They let us know the ages of their kids and the developmental categories, I call them, that they'd like to check out from. And if they were a member, they know what those categories are. You know, it's um, board games, puzzles, vehicles, you know, things that are more like large motor, fine motor. That's We have trampolines and sleds and slides. We have big stuff like that. Uh, so people just kind of let us know generally what their kids are interested in. And then myself and my volunteer coordinator and then some other volunteers go to the library right before our event a couple days beforehand and we fill those orders. So we've done a pretty good job. Our members are very happy with it. And I mean, they're just happy to not have sleds anymore from the winter. They're, they're, they're happy to have something else. Would you say that with the yearly fee that you're able to kind of maintain the program? I'm assuming no one's really like receiving a salary. It's kind of all volunteer. Yeah, we're all volunteer run. It's just myself and and another mom who's the volunteer coordinator. And yeah, we're able to operate really well under our current membership fee. And members who join, who understand and understand our concept, want to support the mission of sharing toys versus buying and consuming, they do offer a generous um, membership fee. They will join at a higher rate because they do support us. So how many hours would you say like per week it's taking you to to kind of maintain this and how many members do you have right now? Uh, we have about 360 active members right now and we've had I think close to 700 total families. So families age out by the time their kids are five years old, they're moving on and done with those kinds of toys. How many hours like is it taking you each week to to run it right now because everything is well I kind of meant before <laughs> yeah um five ten hours maybe okay okay Let's see if like, this was like another full-time job along with raising kids no not really it was and and I'm I don't know I'm, I'm really good at multitasking so it's you know I had my infants along the way that would be sitting next to me in a bouncy chair and I would be labeling toys so I can make it work. So you're doing um, most of like 
the contact or the information you're putting out is on a website and then you would have the event on a certain date and time. People would show up, things out. So it was pretty efficient the way that you set it up. Yeah, with the curbside toy pickup, it's it's running well. So what are some of maybe the challenges that you faced initially or, well, obviously with COVID-19, we know what the challenges are now, but maybe initially, what were some of your challenges? Finding volunteers has been hard. It's We decided to to just run it as a volunteer organization because we didn't want to go into the employee laws and you know everything that went with that. So finding people that were willing to or uh, be at home and help us label toys at home, that kind of thing. So how do you handle it if, let's say, a toy is broken or there's missing pieces? We're very understanding. We're moms. We understand it. I lose stuff under the couch from the toy library all the time. It's just case by case. You know, I, if they're, if it's a very popular toy, if it's a uh, higher quality toy, I will talk to the member to see if it's possible that they actually replace it. Most people are understanding. They'll come in and say, you know, my dog bit this ball. It's, you know, how can I, how can I replace that? And they're, you know, willing to either pay for it or buy it themselves. If there's little missing pieces here and there, it's, if it doesn't affect the toy, it's fine. So we're very understanding of that. So do you uh, have people that want to donate toys or are you purchasing them or how does that work? I would say probably 85, 90% of our toys, and we have nearly 4,000 toys right now, are all secondhand donated or purchased secondhand. I think a lot of people are grateful for the resource to have someplace to donate toys other than, say, your Goodwill or Savers, someplace that the toy is going to get a purposeful, longer life. But I also like to have the conversation with people that, I mean, most of these people are, you know, maybe their grandmas that have the toys from their kids and their kids are 30 now and they're ready to move on. But some of the conversations I have with people where it's, you know, they're younger and they have the kids now, it's like, well, instead of donating the toys, you know, let's think about the behavior that we should change that let's be more of a sharing economy. Let's join a toy library, share with your neighbors. Don't join a toy library, just find neighbors, find friends, family that you can share the toys with, purchase secondhand. Because it, it's it's great as a toy library to have so many toy donations, but it's also in it lies a bit of a problem that people have been inundated with buying new toys at a certain point in our lives and how can we change that? So that's kind of what we're hoping the toy library helps people see is that you can make this work. It is a little bit of an effort. You don't just get the toys and they stay at your house. You have to keep an eye on them. It's, you know, teaching children about responsibility. You have to clean them before they come back. You have to have a it on your calendar that you need to be at the toy library on a certain Saturday a month. So it's a it's a dedication, but it's an important dedication. And kids are starting to see what their parents are, you know, teaching them that you don't have to consume. We can, we can borrow, we can share. I had one family that came in and said they were looking, they found a toy on the shelf that their kid had been interested in and they saw their kid had seen at a store. And the mom said, well, we're not going to buy that, but we'll look for it at the toy library. And the kid was perfectly content. So there and the, the kid is learning that, yeah, this is, this is a new way of playing with toys. It's at a toy library. I'm not going to, you know, throw a fit because I can't have it, you know, there's another option. So I thought that was that, that was nice to hear. Yeah, it sounds like you have a great um, teachable moment just for the community. 
Absolutely. Um, and then, so you mentioned for cleaning. Um, so how does that work? They have to do certain measures of cleaning before they bring it back. How, how do you educate them to do that in the way that's acceptable? Right. So we offered our, every time a member signed up, we would give them a spray bottle filled with um, a green cleaner. So it's just vinegar and water. And through our county, we had some resources that we were avail- able to give to our members about green cleaners, the importance of not using harmful chemicals for you know your children that mouth toys at home and also for going down your sink at home for the environment. So we supply them with what they need to clean the toys. We have toy cleaning protocol on our website so people can go to that to learn how to appropriately clean their toys. It is on the members, so we trust that they do it. We do try to kind of watch as things come in. It's pretty obvious when young kids have had a toy and it hasn't been cleaned. So we can pull that aside and and spot clean that um, before it goes on the shelf. But our members are very good about cleaning the toys and sanitizing them before they come back. Nice. So you're using vinegar as as a disinfectant right now? That's what we had started with before the pandemic. So right now we are, we do have more of a CDC appropriate cleaning where you're soap and water, possibly a small amount of bleach and water. I used to work in childcare. That's what we use. That's what the, um, so yeah, stronger. You've kind of mentioned how you're handling things with the pandemic right now. What are some of the ways that you and others are enjoying the rewards of your efforts? I think just the the support we get from our members, the verbal support, the financial support is great. I, I love seeing it passed on to the next generation. I love seeing the kids come in and understand the toy library, that it's a place to... In, you have access to all these great toys, but we're sharing it. You don't have to keep it that somebody else gets a turn to have it. So I, I really like that piece. And I think we all do to see that it's, it's working, it's infiltrating the community. So if your ideas, your experience and your wisdom were all wrapped up in seeds of potential action to give to others that might be considering this in their city or state, what advice would you give to them? It can be simple. You can start small. We don't, we didn't have the great software to begin with. We didn't plug a bunch of money into it. We just had donated toys from families and, and, and friends. We had a space and we started. I think that will help people start talking about it that, yeah, we, I don't need to go online to buy toys for my kids at this age, like Duplos that my kid can build with, you know, it's just start sharing, you know? Um, so I think it can really just start small and you don't have to just try not to be overwhelmed with all the other stuff that, you know, becoming a nonprofit, building a board of directors, which we've done over the past six years, but it can be small, you know, and Yeah. Nice. So what resource, maybe a book, website, or film has been maybe helpful in this process? It was nice to have, there's a USA TLA. So it's a USA Toy Library Association, and they have resources available to people that are interested in starting a toy library. I think they have some things for purchase that you can buy if you are interested in like the how-tos. But the executive director has been very supportive of us. She came out and visited us one time, very supportive of our mission. And I feel like our mission 
is, you know, there's three parts to it. It's reducing waste, fostering development, and building community. I feel like what I've seen with toy libraries across the world, that we offer more of the reducing waste concept on all toy libraries are doing that. They're cutting down on families, buying more, consuming more. We do offer more things like um, kid-friendly swaps, bring in your old books and we'll swap them clothing swaps. Uh, we do some hard to recycle things with TerraCycle, broken toys get recycled with them. Mission is has been um, something that's been a little bit different and just having the support from, you know, the executive director from the Toy Library Association has been great. They also have just some good resources on there as well. So I think that would be the one that we kind of go back to. Yeah. So I didn't um, realize, so you're doing book swap and so you have like kind of like a, a little mini library there as well with books. Well, we have like monthly, we'll have different kinds of swaps. So anything like arts, art materials, books, and that'll change. So every month or two months, we'll just have a table of books that you can bring. You can take one, leave one, and then the next month it'll change. And then we'll find a place to give those materials away to shoes. That's a big one with young kids, always changing shoes. So families have really liked that resource. They're always coming up with good ideas for other kinds of swaps. So Great. That's excellent. And clothing too, I'm guessing? Yeah, clothing. That's a big one. Kids grow so fast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do you ever get involved in like some reusable like art projects, like craft items or things like that? Not really any art materials. We have some, we have, uh, we actually recycle broken crayons with the Crayon Initiative, which is another guy that just saw a bunch of crayons going in the garbage at restaurants and said we need to do something about this and he recycles crayons he gives them away to free to uh, children at hospitals for art therapy anyways so we collect crayons for his work but we also take some of those crayons and I put them with silicone molds and instructions on how to make new crayons at home so you just put them in the oven and so I do have that in the inventory so how would you like people to contact you if they want to find a little bit uh, find out more about what you're doing there or maybe people that want to do this somewhere else sure uh, they can email us at uh, mpls toy library at gmail.com so email is the best way to contact us well, great. I'm just really excited to hear all that you've done with it. Really, you know, when I read about it, what I thought it was, was what I had experienced in Illinois, which was kind of like paired up with the actual book library. And they had some toys, but it was, you know, it wasn't a huge collection and it was something you had a little bag, you took it home, you brought it back. Um, but this sounds like you've really done so much more with it. And uh, yeah, that's excellent. I'm impressed. And you're giving so much time and everything to it. That's really commendable. Thank you. It's it's taken some years, but uh, I love it. <laughs> so do you do you feel like you're going to be able to pass this on to other people as as your children get older? I'll stick with it. Yeah, it, I'll stick with it. I just have so much fun with it, and I, it's become my passion now, for sure. Thanks for joining us for Local Share Green Action. Until next time, let's all use our unique talents and abilities and take meaningful green local action that benefits the planet and people.